0: Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore dadda. Well, it's officially the weekend, which means college football. And more importantly, we're one day away from real football, which is great. Still two days, and in fact, probably a lot more than two days uh, when you factor in all the hours and minutes and seconds um, that we are away. You know, it's not 48 hours, it's like a lot more than that. But anyways, we won't worry about that. What we can worry about, however, is Zadarius Smith got put on IR. So that's that's super great. Now, IR means he has to be out for three weeks. Personally, I don't think that should impact us as much with the Detroit Lions. I know that's again, I said the same thing about the Saints. It's not a matter of can we lose. It's not even a matter of could this be so close that Z'Darius Smith makes the difference. Of course. We're talking about should, not could. Shouldn't be a big deal. However, weeks 3 and 4 against the San Francisco 49ers and the Pittsburgh Steelers may be a little bit of an issue. And to be completely honest as well as Preston played and Zade- and Rashawn played, I'm not even super worried about them. I mean, we've we've fielded some terrible pass rushers for many many years and we've got a better situation than what they've got. I'm kind of just worried about the depth, which again is kind of silly because, you know, again, we we're going from, you know, washed up Clay and terrible Nick Perry to, uh, you know, competent Preston and um, kind of lethal Rashawn. Maybe, probably, I don't know. I mean, th- this is kind of a case of be careful what you wish for, right? We're all saying, come on, where's Rashawn? He should be out there. Why don't they play Rashawn more? Well, we got what we wanted. Apparently, whoever is the one that grants wishes didn't hear the part where we said make Preston, you know, not play as much. But that's, you know, I guess I guess we'll take it. The one thing that does stick out to me, however... Um, and this made me think about the Saints game as well as the games going forward, was Joe Barry, the defensive coordinator, kind of discussing what had gone wrong and obviously some very straightforward and obvious answers. Um, For one, it's the first game in the system, which is not really a good enough excuse because look at any new defense almost ever, and they're never that bad week one. But he said that was it, and then there was miscommunications, even though he didn't say that that had anything necessarily to do with the touchdowns. That was just guys, I guess, losing or whatever. But anyways, he went on to uh, talk about this whole Zadarius situation and said, we're going to have to find ways to kind of uh, generate pressure. And as somebody pointed out, you kind of wonder if maybe that means more schemey type stuff, like what we saw in the preseason, which kind of gets you a little bit excited. But it also made me think back to the Saints game. And it's almost like a light bulb went off in my head that they were trying to do to the Saints exactly what the Saints did to us. We looked at the Saints with the same analysis that I looked at the Saints. I mean, they did the same as I did and said, they're not that good up front. We should be able to just bring our guys, our our front, normal front four, front five, whatever it is, depending on our package, and win and be able to use our linebackers more so in coverage and keep our safeties back and play a little bit more vanilla. Obviously, that didn't work because our defense didn't really super show up. Defensive line in particular, pretty terrible. And then, you know... The corners, pretty much everybody between the corners and safeties, with the exception of Jair, gave up a touchdown. And then you think, well, why couldn't they have adjusted? But you kind of harken back to that uh, Manning thing where they're talking about adjustments and they're like, that's kind of a joke. Like that stuff doesn't really happen. And and it makes sense because you spend an entire week putting together a game plan and how you're going to do things. And um, it's probably not the easiest thing in the world to say, you know what, scrap that. We're going to change our entire game plan um, to doing different things. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong because it's just play calling, but uh, I tend to think that could be a problem. I guess the only question is how much, how on board does your defense need to be? Like, could you just change it up in your head and be like, you know what? We're sending the linebackers. And then when you start doing that, the defense is like, well, I don't understand. What do we do? What? Whoa, huh? I don't know what that means. We didn't plan for this. I don't know. I don't know how that stuff works, man. I didn't, I didn't play professional football. But again, that ends up being sort of my question. And it also makes me think, so for example, the 49ers and Steelers, I tend to think we'd probably want to do that. Um, especially the 49ers, because they do tend to have a pretty good offensive line and whatnot. But I still wonder about the Lions, if they're going to look at it and go, nah, I don't think we really need it. We'll be okay. If We can get our guys doing what they need to do. I think they can, they can generate the pressure. But at the very least, they've got to have some kind of a contingency. I mean, I, I, I don't know, man. Again, I don't understand how the game planning and all that works, but I don't know how you go into a game without a plan B. How do you not have a, if this doesn't work, maybe we start looking in this direction. You know what I mean? Like, we're just going to keep it vanilla. And then you get annihilated, and you cannot get off the field, and your offense has had 12 plays in the first half. And it's like, all right, plan B time. Probably by the end of the first quarter would be my thought. right? If we just cannot hammer this down, first half for sure. First quarter, though, um, would be ideal. Because we only get four of them. And again, just, just mix it up and try it out. Like I said, in that Saints game, it felt like every time they brought an extra blitzer, Worked pretty well, and I went through the statistics of Jameis when we blitzed, and it was obviously nowhere near as good as when we didn't. But there was never that thing where it's like we're just going to keep doing this. It's like no, we we didn't plan for this, so we can't. I don't, I don't know. It's stupid to me. But anyways, obviously that's very upsetting, and and the even more potentially upsetting part is there's no guarantees coming back in three weeks. IR just means a minimum of three weeks. He might be four, five, six, seven. I guess the one positive is if he is out even longer. Week five is the Bengals, which I guess I shouldn't downplay them after beating the uh, the Vikings. And then you got the Chicago Bears. These are generally not seen as extremely good teams. Um, and then we get Washington, again, not exactly the best team in the universe. And so, the, I mean, the, the real big thing is going to be the 49ers and maybe the Steelers. I'm not even 100%. I guess I'm not 100% sold on anything. I don't know anything. I really don't. I feel like week one maybe taught us something, but maybe it taught us nothing. I have no idea. You know, the the Patriots and the Jets. I have no, I don't know. I'm I'm assuming the Jets are still bad because, I mean, they were really bad and they were bad last year and they're still bad. So probably bad. New England, I don't know. They got a quarterback that seems fairly competent. I'm not really sure how good he's going to be. I don't really know how good the rest of the team is, but I I just don't know. Denver won, but I'm still not super buying it. Jacksonville, I'm pretty sure is going to be trash. Buffalo's 0-1 which is, doesn't necessarily have to mean anything, but it's kind of a question similar to the Packers of how good are they? Are they for sure like a real dominant Super Bowl contender, or are they just kind of like, you know, more or less going to make the playoffs, but I don't know to what degree. Miami's 1-0. The Jalen Waddle and Tua thing seems to be on fire. San Francisco won, and you want to look at it and say they might have a quarterback, and they seem to be a— Everybody's scared of the 49ers every year, despite the fact that they were only good once in— Kyle Shanahan's tenure, but I don't know. The Eagles looked pretty scary despite the fact that they're trash. The Rams, probably scary, but again, almost lost to the Lions. And So I, again, you go all the way down the line. Bengals, are they legit or is that just a stupid thing to even consider? Same with Houston. It's got to be stupid, right? The Browns, the Bears, the, the Saints, Carolina, Arizona, Minnesota, Tennessee, Baltimore right? I mean, really big questions, not just I'm not 100% sure yet. Like massive swings between they could be trash, they could be really good. I don't know. More than half the league. So that's the other thing that week two is going to have to flesh out for us. And and tomorrow I'm planning on going through some picks. I've been doing a ton of background work. Um, I had a cool little system that sounded great, but man, it took so much time. It's like, I don't think I'm going to be doing this very often, but uh, it'll be pretty in detail for tomorrow's game or uh, yeah, tomorrow's games. But anyways, in place of Zadarius, the Packers did sign off the practice squad of the Buccaneers outside linebacker Ladarius Hamilton. So we went from Zadarius to Ladarius, and boy, what a difference a letter makes. Um, because we signed him off the practice squad, he does have to go to the um, the 53-man roster. So, I mean, he's he's in there. Uh, six foot three, 260, first-year play out in North Texas. So, I mean, it, it does lead to some level of excitement when you get a guy like that. You know what I mean? Because there's always those guys. You know, it doesn't sound super exciting when you're like, oh, we got some scrub practice squad guy. But think about how many times we have those guys on the practice squad. It's like, this guy's really good. I hope he clears waivers, right? And then he does, and you're really excited about him. And then somebody snipes him off your practice squad, and it's like, no. Point is, the Packers have been watching this guy, and they're pretty excited about him. Because you're certainly not just going to throw a dart at somebody on the practice squad. Especially, again, when it means they have to go to the active roster. We have guys on the practice squad we could call up. Nah. (laughs) but uh, he played a good amount in the preseason for Tampa Bay. Um, Again, undrafted free agent, North Texas Mean Green. Um, He played 24 snaps week one against Cincinnati, 13 against Tennessee, and 27 against Houston. Um, His biggest asset, clearly, is his ability to hold the edge. Not a super refined pass rusher, although he did manage two pressures on 14 attempts, against Houston in week three. So he finally, he had zero pressure, zero pressures, and then two in uh, week three against Houston. So he finally got that covered. Another big benefit of him, terrible in coverage. So hopefully there's never any any hope whatsoever of dropping him in coverage um, because he had five snaps where they dropped him in coverage and he was, he was just bad. But uh, 71.2 run defense grade, 76.3 tackling grade. Obviously didn't miss any tackles. Um, again, two pressures, including one sack and one hurry, five tackles, um, four of them being stops. And on those five coverage snaps, he was targeted twice. One of them was caught for six yards. So I, you know, I don't necessarily anticipate getting a lot of opportunities for Ladarius, but, um, again, the Packers, I'm guessing this goes all the way back to, to college. They've had their eye on this guy because again, that is, that's a big deal. He's Plays at a small school, he's an undrafted guy, and now he's on our 53 man roster above guys that have been here for a while. Guys that got cut, guys that are on the practice squad, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So again, that he probably isn't gonna play. But still, that's um, they like him. And and I've I've tried to learn to not immediately discount guys like this because every once in a while, Gudukunt's just he gets one. Um, in other news, um, the Chargers also have placed right tackle Brian Balaga on injured reserve. Obviously, you can't assume that if he was here, that that would still be happening. But um, it's still one of those things. Not that there's a lot of Packer fans that say we shouldn't have got rid of him. But this it's just a consistent thing that happens. When guys leave, they just don't seem to do as well when they leave. Actually, let me look at Lindsley. I didn't even think to look at that. So hilariously, and I don't know how I didn't think to look at this, um, if you look at overall grades, as I said, Josh Myers was the fifth highest graded center in all of football. Corey Lindsley was 18th. He had a 58.5 overall grade. Um, if we look at last year, I can't imagine he had very many games like that. Um, 58.4 against Tampa Bay was the lowest he had all year. So this would be the second lowest we've seen all year, or you know, if it was last year, from Corey Lindsley. It's not that I necessarily expect that to continue forever, but here are a couple other things to keep in mind with Corey. Number one, 30 years old. Number two, would have been extremely expensive. Number three, he actually was pretty bad the last three weeks of the season. Despite having an 86.4 overall grade and being the number one center in football, he ended the season 63, 62, and 58. And now this technically would be his fourth kind of bad game in a row. The last time he would graded out as a really, really good game was week nine against San Francisco, 81.6 overall grade. So I'm not saying that necessarily played into this, but that may have been part of it. And again, this is just this is just common stuff. And I'm sure part of it has to do with Corey just being a really good fit here. And now he goes over to LA, and it's a whole new scheme and a whole new system. But this is this is almost every time. Again, as I've said a thousand times, with the exception of Josh Sitton, was which was different circumstances. When we cut offensive linemen, and we get really mad about it, they leave, and they just don't do very well. So. And again, Josh Myers was fifth. Now, we'll see how this plays out. Corey could still end up being a top-five center, and our guy's completely garbage. But um, so far, another decision that seemingly was really stupid that I certainly was opposed to. I wanted to keep Corey and not Aaron Jones. Um, But, you know, again, I'm I'm looking like a guy that shouldn't be the GM, I guess. I don't know. Another uh, fun little aside that I found, and again, I put this on Twitter. um, But I went back and I looked at it because— you know, I, I don't remember exactly what it was that got me thinking about this, but the Minnesota Vikings. I, I think the, the the biggest thing is again appreciation for what we have. Um, we say things like, "Oh, he was the fifth best center in football," and it's like, "Hey, that's exciting," but it's only one week. We'll see if this guy's any good. I don't know who cares. Um, but that that follows up with Elton Jenkins, who was another second round pick. The last two times we got relatively early round offensive linemen was Elton Jenkins and Josh Myers, and again, Elton Jenkins was a uh, one of the top tackles in football, despite not even being a tackle. He just, they're like, we're going to put you a tackle because we need you there and we'll see how it goes. And he was one of the top graded tackles in all of football. And then a the guy we drafted his first ever game, he was the fifth highest graded center in football. He was the third highest graded pass blocking center in football. It's not supposed to go that way. And I, again, I think for the sake of um, perspective, we need to remember this is not how it's supposed to go. Um, If you just look at the list of guys behind them, every single one of these guys has expectations that they should be better than a rookie in his first game ever. Um, Ryan Kelly in Indianapolis. Granted, he had a a fine game as a pass blocker, but still. Number 18 overall selection in 2016, right? He's been with the team for one, two, three, four, five full years. This is going on year number six for Ryan Kelly. He didn't do as well as our... um, our guy who played one game so far. David Andrews in New England. I mean, he's an undrafted free agent, but he's been with the Patriots as a center for one, two, three, four, five years now. Same thing. He's been a very good center for several years, right? He got beat out. Uh, Brandon Linder has been one of the top centers in football. He's a third round pick in 2014. Um, Ryan Jensen, he was a, well, he's a six round pick and he's always sucked. But, but again, the point is, geez, Alex Mack, Alex Mack, obviously, much higher expectations. Granted, the guy's almost 36 years old, but first-round pick, he's an absolute Hall of Famer, incredible football player, incredible career. There's expectations for guys like that that we shouldn't have for our guy. Corey Lindsley, at number 17 as a pass blocker, 55 pass blocking, 55.1 overall pass blocking grade. That's bad. You know, the, the Broncos selected Lloyd Cushenberry in the third round in 2020. He was terrible terrible in his first year so now obviously what's the what's the conversation every time you have a guy that's a relatively early round pick that had a bad year you start talking about well year two that's when you make a jump year two 50 overall grade uh matt paradis the um guy who's had a great you know again there's all these expectations for all these guys some of them are new some of them are a little bit older but garrett bradbury is one of those guys garrett bradbury for the minnesota vikings was a first round pick number 18 overall super high expectations for garrett bradbury and I remember when they drafted him the first um in the first round and in that first year in 2019 I believe his pass blocking grade might have been like a 0. Let me, let me let me go back and look. It was some of the worst of it was. His first game ever. This is a first round pick number 18 overall. His pass blocking grade was a 0. 0. He played f- uh, 53 snaps, 14 of them were pass blocking. 0. I'd never seen a 0 before in my entire life until Garrett Bradbury pulled it off. Um week 1. He followed that up with a 32 overall grade, then and that was against the Packers. 2 weeks later, he had a 36 overall grade. He also had a 25 in week 14 and a second 0 overall grade this time against the Packers week 16. That's and again, that's a first round pick. That's number 18 overall. So, and 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 listen, that's that's relatively common. What's what's it's more common that you're going to have a number 18 overall guy that's not panning out. Than to have some second-round guy come in and just dominate the offensive line like like he's been there his whole life. So, anyways, the tweet that I put out was Josh Myers' first game ever had a higher pass blocking grade than all but two of Garrett Bradbury's 35 starts. If this was if this if Garrett Bradbury had switched places with Josh Myers and had done as well as Josh Myers, it would officially be his third best game ever. But alas, it's not. It's Josh Myers' first game ever, and it's Garrett Bradbury's 35th start, and he again had a really bad game week 1 because he's Garrett Bradbury. He had a 37 overall grade, 27.4 pass blocking grade. He gave up a sack, a hit and two hurries in this game. Again, we don't know what Josh Myers is going to be, but if this guy's even a halfway competent football player, we've got to start counting our blessings, man. Especially when the offensive line is getting to be so tenuous, you know, we're starting to lose some players. Um, you know, I mean just just look at, you know, and again, I hate to keep getting into this this argument and and I even said yesterday or the day before that you know, the, the people that are not big fans of Gutekunst, usually it's because of Rodgers, but they um, they maybe have a little bit more solid footing now than they did last year because of some of the changes that have been made. And some of these guys, especially the 2020 class, are not exactly where you'd want them to be. Some of them are not even on the team anymore. But but let's just stop and think for a second the fact that a second-round guard stepped out at tackle and was one of the best tackles in football because of the guy that that Brian Gutekunst picked. At some point, we got to give a little bit of respect for crying out loud. Come on, there's 32 teams in the NFL. At some point, you can't always assume the Packers are have to be at the top. Somebody has to be, you know, outside of the top 10. Somebody has to be more toward the middle. Somebody's got to be below average. There's a big pile of guys that are just garbage. That's a big deal, man. And if the Packers do turn this this team around and they do start to make a comeback. Make no mistake, it's going to be because of guys like Josh Myers and Elton Jenkins, as well as a litany of other guys that that we've, we've been able to bring in. Despite all the errors, despite all the issues, and despite all the, the bad decisions, there have been a heck of a lot of things that have been put together properly. Beyond that, it's just fun to make fun of the Minnesota Vikings because they try so hard. <laughs> they really do. They've been trying to get this offensive line going for a while. Garrett Bradbury was like their real big swing, you know? I mean, not just was it a number 18 overall pick, but on a center. That's about as high as you'll ever see a center go. So they really went big. They went real hard trying to get a center so they can run that outside zone, a real athletic guy that can just get up to the next level and you know do all these wonderful special things. And he is one of those guys that's somewhat of an athletic freak. So despite the fact that he grades out terribly and he cannot pass block to save his life, you're going to see a couple run plays where he's just scooting, you know, and it's going to get picked up by some... Coach Han type of guy who's going to be like, look how good he is. <laughs> it might even be Coach Han. I bet if you ask him about Garrick Bradbury, he's going to tell you he's great. Not because he's wrong. I'm just saying he does things that other guys can't do, and that's why the Vikings picked him. But he also, he struggles mightily. But anyways, we'll wrap up this whole Zadarius thing by, as as Danny23 on uh, Twitter said, this is, this is, uh, Rashawn's coming out party. This is when Rashawn can explode onto the scene. This is when he gets all the snaps. This is when he gets all the attention. This is when they do not take him off the field and just unleash that man. And I hope he makes the best of it because Lord knows the guy's been working real hard. He just, he does nothing but train. He does nothing but build up his body and his mind to be the best and most athletic freak, which he already was the second he stepped onto the football field, but to just continue to hone his craft to be a finely tuned machine, now is his time. Now is his time for the entire world on Monday Night Football to watch the guy that nobody wanted to talk about, the guy that still everybody thinks was a terrible pick, to prove everybody wrong. But anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break here. I want to start diving into the Detroit Lions. Nothing super in-depth, obviously, but um, I think the way I want to do this is let today be sort of the intro. Look over what are the Lions, who are the Lions, kind of just go through their roster. Tomorrow we'll be a little bit more focused on the games of that day, and then Monday, because it's a Monday night game, we'll kind of go a little bit more in-depth into this game um, as best as we possibly can. As always, if you'd like to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can support this podcast for as little as $1 per month. It's just that easy, man. Or you can prepay for the year, it's like $10. I personally wouldn't want to do it that way, but I know some people are like, I don't like these monthly stupid charges. And so a lot of people choose to do it that way. But whatever it is that you can do would be greatly, greatly, greatly appreciated. Also, so you know, that that Bakhtiari jersey was supposed to be cut off today. I I should have been picking a winner today. Um, The way that you enter this is to share the post. That's all you have to do. You go on Facebook, you share the post. There are literally thousands of people listening to the sound of my voice, thousands of Green Bay Packer fans that do not have a signed David Bakhtiari jersey that literally just have to click one button that says share do you know how many people are entered to win this several hundred dollar value jersey with David Bakhtiari's name signature on it? Thirteen people have entered. Thirteen. If you share this right now, you have a one in fourteen chance of winning a signed David Bakhtiari jersey. I'm 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 so stunned at how little people are willing to do to get free stuff. This is why I don't like giveaways. So I click this button right here and they're like eh, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> Click. I, I even, uh, I took the post and I shared it in the Facebook group and I said, click this link. This is the one you have to share. I did it on Twitter. Thousands of people in uh, on Twitter that follow me. Hey, click this link and then click share and you're entered to win a jersey that's signed by by David Bakhtiar. You do have to be registered at Pristine Auction. You do have to follow the Facebook page. That's That's an extra like, I don't know, three minutes of your day. One in 13 chance. If, you, if you're one of the people that shared it, you, you have a fantastic opportunity. And I don't even think it's 13, to be honest, because if I click on this, um, a lot of these I can't even see. So I think it's people that shared the sharing, which I said don't do. I said go to the page and share it at the page because I can only see one, two, three, four, five. I see five people. And one of them is Jacob, who is not eligible to win this. There's four. There's a one in four chance for... for the people that shared this to win right now one in four i'm not kidding i i think i might be done doing giveaways because this is kind of embarrassing <laughs> this, this is really embarrassing if you don't want to do it i don't care i just i'm just stunned that again I've, I've already said i'm not a jersey guy i don't really care but i would do this just because i would like to have one i mean i'll frame it and put it up in my office here i don't really want to wear it not a, again i'm not a huge jersey guy but this is this is a big deal this is a signed memorabilia it's a jersey signed by baktiari four people have entered in a week. Seven people have liked this post. Not that that matters, but seven. And I think we've gained zero followers in the last like week. It just, I mean, it's not uncommon. This happens all the time. Every time we do a giveaway, it's like pulling teeth, but this one is a little bit stunning. This is maybe the worst I've ever, I've ever seen. So I don't know. We got to figure something else out for, for next week. Um, I'm tempted to try out Twitter because giveaways on Twitter usually blow up. Maybe Facebook's just too hard. I don't know, but I'm, I'm I'm stunned, and um, again, if you want a a literal one-in-five chance right now of winning a signed David Bakhtiari jersey, just go share the post. Go to Packernet Podcast Facebook page. I I did the hard—I did all the hard work for you. It's pinned to the top. It's the very top one. You don't even have to scroll. You don't have to do anything. You could hand your phone to your five-year-old daughter and give her the instructions, and she can have you signed up in five minutes. This is your last chance, though. Tomorrow night—or, excuse me. Well, no, tonight. Tonight. I said that wrong because it's Friday for me. Saturday night, probably late because some people that are listening in the afternoon afternoon, I want to give you an opportunity. Call it like seven, eight o'clock. Last thing I do before I rest my beautiful little head, I'm going to click on shares and I'm gonna pick one of the winners. And I'm not even gonna to have to get some randomizer because there'll probably be like seven people. Just share it. Share it anywhere. Share it to a Facebook group, share it to your friends and family. Share it to a baking pay, a baking group. I don't I don't care. Just share it, please. Then the only thing you have to do after that is follow the page, sign up at pristineauction.com because they're the ones giving this away completely free. I, they're not charging us a dime. They're like, yeah, dude, if you want to say our name, Pristine Auction, we're going to give away tons of free stuff. And by the way, as I've said, they're super stoked about this partnership. The more people that engage with it, the more free stuff I'm giving away to everybody. we still got a signed Devonte Adams jersey to give away, a signed Josiah DeGuara jersey to give away. I hope he comes back soon. And I think, is that it? Because the Jordy's gone and this is Bakhtiari. Was there four or was there five? I don't remember. But it can continue for the rest of the year, potentially, if we can keep up the momentum from week one. And I know everybody's bummed out about the loss, but I'm literally saying, just go click one button and you're in. One button. And even if, you're, if, you, if you didn't do the rest of the stuff right, I'm going to baby you through and be like, all right, dude, look, click the follow thing so I can find you, please. Okay, cool. Did you sign up at Pristine Auction. Go do it. Quickly. Sign up. Go. So I can give you this jersey. But again, if you don't want it, you don't want it. I'm not, you know, don't do me any favors for I'll take the freaking jersey for myself. You guys don't want it. I'll give it to Jacob. He does a lot of good work. Although knowing Jacob, he wouldn't even take it. He gave away a lot of his own personal stuff to to this group for trying to help build it up. He's a good dude. Anyways, again, I'm just trying to help you out, man. By the way, Blaine, what are you doing? You don't want a jersey? Shame on you. Half Mexican lawyer. Was it some legal con- tr- conflict of interest? Thought you were my friend. we <laughs> will take a break. We'll be right back. Anyways, we might as well start off with the quarterback. We all know who that is. It's Mr. Jared Goff. My suspicion with Jared Goff, and so far so good, is that Jared Goff. Look, at when he got picked up in 2016, Jared Goff was a quarterback with what's his name, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Nine Win or whatever. I don't know. It was a real bad uh, bad situation. I'm sure you remember. But when when um, Sean McVay came over. He implemented this scheme, and Jared Goff went from a horrific, I mean like worst in football quarterback, despite being the number one overall selection, to being a pretty competent quarterback. And then the next year in 2018, Matt LaFleur got a hold of him, again, the scheme and all that stuff, and he was one of the best in football, 84.3 overall grade. Now, Matt LaFleur left and things started to decline, maybe not because of Matt LaFleur, but that's, I'm going to throw that little loop tidbit in there just for the heck of it. There were some personnel changes and, you know, people get caught up to the scheme. And if you're not a super great quarterback and you're very scheme dependent and people learn how to kind of play that scheme and you maybe lose a couple pieces here and there, there's a general decline. But since McVeigh took over, he hasn't been any lower than a 71 overall grade as a quarterback. He's graded out as good every single year, with the exception of 2018, 84.3, as I said. So far this year in his one outing, um, 66.7 overall, which is below what you would expect. Now, it's just one game. Obviously, he's had much worse games than this in his career. And uh, the 49ers tend to have a pretty stout defense. And it's his first game in the scheme and all that. So you can cut him a little bit of slack. But my expectation is that he would regress a little bit with the Lions. You know, and it's not just it's not just McVeigh in the scheme either. I mean, the, the wide receivers are, are terrible. I mean, aside from tight end Hawkinson and whatnot, and the offensive line is a, is a question mark at this point. But in that game, um, 57 pass attempts, which, you know, and that's the other thing to keep in mind, and I don't have a way to break this down by quarter or anything, but um, the massive comeback came toward the end, and obviously the 49ers kind of backed off, and as the statistics get better and the passes start becoming completed, the grade is going to improve as well. I'm guessing if you look at his first half grade, which again, I can't, it would be much lower than it is. But 57 attempts, 38 completions, 66%, 338 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. Again, when you look at just the the overall stats in that respect, it looks like he had a really good day, but the, the garbage time for the Lions started around halftime. Um, he also had three big-time throws, two turnover-worthy plays. I haven't really developed what I consider to be a good ratio yet because it's kind of a new metric, you know, where I have with pass rush, where I can kind of tell based on from experience of looking at this a lot, what's good and what's bad. I'll try to do that, but just some general information. Um, The 5.9 yards per attempt, 6.3 average depth of target really tells you, and again, when it's week one, it's so hard to tell, but it may just be the way that the 49ers played and what the Lions had to do, or he's just not going down the field very much, which kind of seems like a Jared Goff thing because that's the whole McVeigh-ish kind of system. Um, there were three drops, which is a pretty high number. But you also fa- factor in fifty-seven attempts. I, I don't. I don't really know. That's <laughs> it's maybe not that much. Um, three sacks in this game. Two point six eight time to throw, which is not too bad. Ninety-two point six overall passer rating. Uh, the it looks like about sixty percent of his passes were short passes between zero and nine yards. Fourteen percent also behind the line of scrimmage. So when we include behind the line of scrimmage and short passes. We're talking about, what, 63%, 63.6, so 64, I'm sorry, 74%. Three quarters, three quarters of all his passes were under 10 yards. Um, of all those ridiculous amount of attempts, he only threw six passes in the medium range between 10 and 19 yards. Uh, five of those were completed for 79 yards and a pick, so that was kind of his his money zone when you look at those stats until you see that was where his one pick came. And then passes 20 yards or deeper, seven attempts, only two completions for 45 yards. That was his lowest graded, um, zone, I guess, or, or area. And then the one I generally care the most about is the pressure. Um, when he was kept clean, he had a 70 overall grade, which isn't that different. And then under pressure, it was a a 60 overall grade. So not that bad. So, you know, contrast of 59 and a 69, basically, it's, it's not that big of a difference, um, he was 30 of 40, 260 yards, and three touchdowns while kept clean. He was 8 of 17 for 78 yards and a pick. So the stats look a lot worse than, than the grades do. But So overall, not the greatest start in the world. Um, not terrible, but it, it, it just sounds discombobulated. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just it was a terrible start, and then you got to get into that. I mean, he, he basically had to turn into Matt Stafford um, as soon as he got to Detroit, despite the fact that it's a whole new regime, all new players, coaches, and everything. Uh, Once again, you cross that threshold in Detroit and you just got to be Matt Stafford and throw the ball 60 times. The wide receivers, again, as um, our lads has it, it's Khalif Raymond and Tyrell Williams as the number one and two, but Tyrell Williams is probably going to be out. The next two are Quintez Cephas and Tom Kennedy, followed by Amon Ross St. Brown, who I don't think played at all, Trinity Benson, and then um, Kaderil Hodge, which I'm just listing all the wide receivers because anybody's got a shot with this team if we look at it based on a standpoint of total snaps who got the most snaps with the team Khalif raymond was number one with 69 let me just go to receiving so i can give you the stats right away um well then i can't see snaps but i guess we'll just look at at targets um Quintez cephas actually had the most targets but uh, three receptions on six targets for 12 yards and a touchdown uh, Trinity Benson, three receptions on six targets for 19 yards. Uh, Khalif Raymond, three receptions on four targets for 50 yards. Amon Rod did play, two targets on three receptions. Uh, excuse me, two, two receptions on three targets, 23 yards. Uh, and Tyrell Williams, two receptions for 14 yards. So, again, pretty much everybody played. Everybody got a little bit involved, um, but the most yardage anybody got was 50, and that's Khalif Raymond and one guy, Quintez Cephas, had a touchdown. The uh, highest-graded receiver was Quintez Cephas, which a lot of people are going to be excited about the old Badger, but he was actually graded lower than... Actually, let me do receiving grades. doesn't change much. He was graded lower than TJ Hawkinson, obviously, but also Jamal Williams, go figure, was the second-highest-graded receiver on this team. Um, based on the statistics from Week 1, it looks like Khalif Raymond is kind of the deep threat, 16.7 yards per reception. Amon Robert Saint Brown, also eleven point five. Amon Ross seems to be strictly a slot guy, ninety-two percent of the time in the slot. So he's going to be the guy over there um, up against Chandon, more or less. He had a fifty-six overall grade, so Chandon's got a shot of being able to hold his own. And then out wide, I you know again, Khalif Raymond is probably going to be um, the top guy. Actually, they do have snaps; it's just in a different spot. Khalif Raymond got the most snaps, and then after that, it was Amon Ra, who, again, is the slot guy, and then after that is Trinity Benson with 44 snaps, and then it drops off quite a bit to Quintez with 28, but who knows after that touchdown. So, I don't know. Other than Amon Ra is going to be their slot guy, and again, he had a 56 overall grade, and uh, Khalif Raymond had a 63 overall grade and had 50 yards for the team, Um Pretty fluid, I would guess, and, and not super great, although I shouldn't run my mouth because I talked a lot last week and um, Packers got spanked by a lot of guys I said sucked. Looking at, uh, we should do TJ Hawkinson since we're on that already. Let's go back one. Um, so, TJ obviously is the top guy. Uh, the second highest graded guy at a 68 overall grade, he had a 76, which isn't super elite, but there's just no question. He's a good football player and he's super well rounded. He's a good receiver, he doesn't drop the ball, he's a good blocker. Um, 11 targets. Um, DeAndre Swift also, by the way, had 11 targets. We'll get to the running backs, but 11 targets, eight receptions, 97 yards and a touchdown. This is the guy, no question about it. He does primarily line up in the slot. Um, 64% of the time he's in the slot, only 28% of the time he lines up in line. So he's that, you know, old Jimmy Graham kind of just put him in the slot, go run routes and beat guys kind of guy. Again, he does line up in line once in a while. And, um, and when he does, he's a pretty good blocker. Since we're here, uh, Jamal Williams, nine targets, which is, I guess, shouldn't be. The, so the, the number, this is, tells you about the wide receivers. Number one most targeted guy was TJ Hawkinson, tied with DeAndre Swift at 11. Both had eight receptions. Um, Jamal Williams was the third most targeted player with nine, uh, eight receptions on nine targets, 56 yards. And then you get to Quintes Cephas with six. Again, just to show how bad this wide receiver group is, the top three receivers are a tight end and two running backs. Now, that, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a negative. I mean, we know Jamal's a good football player. You know DeAndre's a, an early drafted guy. He's talented. He's got some wiggle And TJ. At the end of the day, it's still three guys you got to account for. It might not be our corners, which kind of stinks in a way because you kind of wish their best guy was a wide receiver because our best guy's a corner. Now it's like, well, our corner is going to be wasting all his talent on some bum just call it what it is, while DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams, and TJ Hawkinson go to work on what, our our linebackers? I'm just saying. But anyways, looking at the running backs as running backs, the highest graded was Jamal Williams, but he only had a 68.4 overall grade, 67 running grade, but he only ran the ball nine times. If you look in terms of actual attempts, he was um, second behind DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift, 11 attempts for 39 yards, 3.5 average. Jamal obviously out uh, outran him because it's Jamal Williams and he actually knows what he's doing. Nine attempts, 54 yards, six yards per attempt, and a touchdown. So he was running kind of wild. And not, you know, as is the case, Jamal is a really good running back, but he gets no opportunities because he's just the number two and that's just the way it goes. Sorry, dude, you go hang out on the sideline. But uh, yeah, nine attempts, 54 yards, six yard average, and a touchdown. Sorry for rubbing my microphone. That's probably annoying, but it is what it is. Nothing I can do about it, man. By the way, yards after contact, DeAndre Swift 1.3, Jamal Williams 3.3. Again, that's just his thing. Uh, missed tackles forced. He had one. DeAndre had zero. 10-plus yards yard carries. Again, DeAndre had more attempts, but they both had two apiece. If you look at first downs gained, DeAndre Swift had two. Jamal got four. So uh, Jamal was definitely the better running back. We'll see what they decide to do. If they decide to be wise and say, hey, I know DeAndre was drafted early, but heck, I didn't draft the guy. I'm going with the best guy available and um, end up going with uh, the man, Mr. Jamal Williams, or if they stick with uh, Mr. DeAndre Swift because of his potential and where he was drafted or whatever the reasoning would be, I don't know. But we'll we'll see how that plays out. Also, it's the Packers, and that may, may factor in. I don't know if it would be a positive or a negative to play Jamal because it's one of those, well, Jamal knows the Packers. Yeah, but the Packers know Jamal, too. As far as blocking goes, overall, the highest graded blocker was their center, Frank Ragnall. Very, very talented center. He's been good for a long time. Guy that they absolutely nailed. Uh, Panay Sewell had a great day despite all the kind of, he was, it's kind of funny because we talk about Jamar Chase and it's like, Jamar had a terrible preseason. They should have taken Penay Sewell. That was stupid, but Panay Sewell had a terrible offseason as well. Then week one happens, and Jamar goes off, and it's like, well, oh, maybe that was the right pick, but Pene Sewell also had a good day. 75.6 overall, 78.8 run blocking, 67 pass blocking, which isn't the greatest in the world, but still fine. Um, give up zero sacks, two hits, four hurries. Six pressures is probably more than you'd like, but, um, you know, whatever. After that, though, you got to go through, because, you know, there's a lot of other guys. TJ Hawkinson's second highest graded, got to go through halfbacks and wide receivers, You work our way down to number nine overall is Logan Sternberger, the guard. Um, He only played two snaps. I don't know if he came in for somebody that was injured, but that would be the next highest graded. If you go to the next actual guy on on the roster, Jonah Jackson, 59 overall, 71 run blocking, 31 pass blocking grade. Terrible. Again, I can't predict what's going to happen in this game. I can't promise you, well, he's bad, so the Packers are going to run all over him. I said that last week. They didn't, but I can just give you the information and we'll see how it goes. 31 overall grade, he gave up a sack, two hits, and six hurries for a grand total of nine pressures. Nine. That's staggeringly high. After that, you got uh, Mr. Halapalavati Vaitai, my favorite name in the world to say. That's not true. There's probably like six or seven football players I love to say, like Bechton. But 54 overall grade, 54 run blocking, 49 pass blocking, gave up five hurries, five total pressures. And then tackle Matt Nelson was third from the bottom of all blocking individuals with a 52 overall grade, 58 run blocking, 44 pass blocking, also gave up six pressures. They gave a gave up a grand total of 28 pressures in this game. That's, I mean, they threw the ball a lot, so it's going to be higher, but that's a big number. It's a lot of pressures. Um, flipping over to the defense now, Trey Flowers graded out really, really well, um, but it's kind of fluky because <laughs> the... The grades are mostly a reflection of his tackling and coverage abilities. Um, His run defense grade was a 63, his pass rush was a 56, and those are the two things you really want him to do. Otherwise, the only two guys with 70 overall grades last year were Jamie Collins, the longtime Patriot, and then A.J. Parker, the cornerback, uh, who I don't even know who that guy is, to be honest with you. Otherwise, it was at best average, and uh, let's see, for the most, I mean, literally more than half were below a 60. So it was a rough outing for the... um, For the Lions defense. But starting with the defensive line, you got uh, Brockers, Olympic Neal, who they drafted in the third round, and uh, Nicholas Williams, at least that's what the roster is listed as. Michael Brockers did get the most snaps on the interior, 44 overall grade, very similar to the Packers with the defensive line just looking terrible. But um, he had a 46 run defense grade, 28 tackling grade, zero pressures in this game. Uh, Nick Williams was second most snaps, 55 overall grade. Um, he generated one pressure in this game. Run defense was terrible, 50.7. Then Alim McNeil, the rookie, 51 overall grade, 52 run defense, which Alim McNeil is just a big, giant, massive human. That's all you want him to do is is defend the run. He couldn't, and um, he also generated zero pressures. Kevin Strong, also the other uh, defensive lineman that uh, had some snaps, again terrible, 61 overall grade, zero pressures. Uh, Johnny Panisini, they got. Rotated in once in a while, 64 overall grade. Again, zero pressures, 49 run defense. So he did neither. Nobody really did anything. Um, this entire defensive line, again, the grades are 44, 55, 51, 61, and 64. That's all the defensive linemen. So, you know, and again, I went through this last week with the Saints. They're bad. Yep, they are. They're really bad. Um, we going to be able to block them? I don't know. That's what I don't know. Now, the, the biggest difference, though, is... They don't really have a guy that can generate pressures. They really don't. I mean, you could say Trey Flowers fine. Um, he's been fine in the past, but again, zero pressures by Trey last uh, last week. The only guy that did generate pressures is Romeo Okwara, and he does he does get his fair share of, of pressures. I should say, but um, he reminds me a lot of who is that? Like Reddick or something? One of those guys where he's just a pressure machine. Not necessarily even sacks, although he did have ten sacks last year. Okwara did. But um, he generates a ton of pressures. He had 61 pressures on 424 attempts, but he's so pathetically horrible against the run. It's, it's, he averaged out as a 68 overall, despite being an 85 pass rusher. So you got to watch him. He's going to be flying around the edge. He's, uh, but he, he generated four. Nobody else had two on the entire team. And, and again, unless Trey Flowers figures it out and kind of returns to form, um, there's just, there's not a lot here. Last year, trade didn't play very much, but he had 13 pressures on 183 attempts. That's it. What is that, like 7%, 8%? That's not good. But anyways, looking at the edge guys particularly, again, the only reason I brought that up is because the Saints had some solid edge rushers. These guys, yeah, not as much. But Romeo did get the number one amount of snaps. Again, he can get some pressures. He got four of them, but that's he's so bad. I mean, he's outside of Alex Anzalone. He was the worst run defender on the entire team. Then you got Trey with a handful less snaps. Again, zero pressures in this game. Um, after that, Charles Harris got a couple snaps, about 15. He had a 29 overall grade. Um, he did generate one pressure and on his 10 attempts, which is fine, but really abysmal outing. And then Austin Bryant, who was a guy that every time I bring him up, I got to mention that I really didn't like him in college. He was way overhyped. But um, he played one snap and did basically nothing. So that's that's their edge group. Linebackers, again, Anzalone is the top guy. Alex Anzalone, um, pretty long-time player. He's been with the Saints. It's one of the guys the Saints lost. Um, he's never really been that good of a football player. Third-round pick overall. Um, terrible outing. Again, 28.6 overall grade. He was the lowest-graded player. 27 run defense, um, 46 tackling, 43 in coverage. He did get one pressure on his two attempts, which, you know, it's the one thing he seems to be able to do well, but it doesn't sound like they're even utilizing him in that capacity. So what's the point? Um, Two tackles, three assisted tackles, one missed tackle. Um, He was targeted four times. All of them were caught for 49 yards, 117 passer rating when targeted. Uh, The next linebacker, again, is Jamie Collins, one of the few guys that seems to be somewhat competent on this team. 82.6 run defense. So you got that working. But it is worth noting overall last year, and you know maybe he took a step, I don't know, but 64 overall grade, so it's not as though we know he's just going to dominate all the time. Um, otherwise, at linebacker, what do they got? Derek Barnes played five snaps, and Jalen reeves maybin a couple of real young guys. Uh, both of them were pretty terrible last week. At corner, it gets uh, super interesting, again, with injuries and everything, but Amani Aroarie was the top guy. Um, we kind of cooked him last year pretty bad. Well, their entire db group we did but he he got annihilated uh he played all 55 snaps at a 38 overall grade 38 coverage um only had one tackle in the game he was targeted eight times five of them were caught for 82 yards and a touchdown jeffrey okuda is injured so he's not even in the game so after okuda you got aj parker again one of the only other guys that graded out well pretty limited limited amount of opportunities but uh made the most of them should be noted, though, this was his first game ever. He is an undrafted free agent out of uh, Kansas State. So if this guy, an undrafted free agent out of Kansas State, in his second game ever is able to shut down Aaron Rodgers and our group, then he must be the freak of all freaks. Um, and that's it. There were no other corners that played a single snap. So they're going to have to get some other guys. I think Parker might have been in the slot, if I'm not mistaken. Can I even see that information anywhere? I can't. But I, I believe that is the g- Let me look on... Uh, our lads here, corner. Don't know, but I think it was a slot. It has to be, right? And then finally, you got the safeties, uh, Mr. Will Harris. Will Harris has been with Detroit for quite a while. uh, Third round pick in 2019 Mm. out of Boston College. Never been all that good. 55 overall grade in 2019, 50 in 2020, and this past week a 38.3. Now, again, keep in mind, a lot of these 20s and 30s overall grade is probably because San Francisco just absolutely took him to task. So it's possible the Packers can do it, but it's also possible if they're just not up to it and, you know, doesn't have to be that bad, but still he's always been kind of, kind of bad. Uh, Tracy Walker is a guy that I really liked early on. He started off getting real good grades, you know, 89.8 overall in his first season. Uh, then a 73 the next year, which is obviously down a little bit, but still solid. And then last year was a 51 overall grade. So he just completely fell off the planet. I don't know what happened. Um, but he had a 65, just an average game. Uh, statistically, by the way, Will Harris, three targets, three receptions, 29 yards. Tracy Walker, two targets, one reception, 35 yards. Only other safety was Mr. Efedi Um He played 12 snaps, had, again, a 37 overall grade, 26 tackling, 33 in coverage. One target, one reception for 12 yards. Um, he was a third-round pick this year. So a lot of real young guys on this team and not a lot of them doing a lot. Even the veterans like Alex Anzalone, Trey Flowers, all these guys that have been around for a while. It's just it's just a bad mix. And so it's kind of hard to look at it and say, where's their strength? I mean, you could say it's off the edge, kind of like we had with the Saints. You could say, well, Trey Flowers is sort of a big-body guy that can rush the passer. He's also can can stop the run. Um, and then you got the other guy, Mr. Uh, Aquara, I was looking in the wrong spot. Who can't do anything, but at least he can he can get a couple pressures. But again, it's, you know, and I I, I hate to even do it cuz I did it with the Saints, but defensive line is bad. Trey Flowers hasn't really been like elite level Trey Flowers in a while. Aquara, you know, again, he'll get a couple pressures, but ugh, defensive line is bad, linebackers are bad, safeties are bad, corners are bad. I don't I don't I don't know what else to say about it. I know this is going to get thrown in my face if we lose. I get that. I just, what do you what do you want me to say? <laughs> Tell me what you want me to say here. I don't even think Lions fan. I want to talk to Dosa Dion, hopefully tomorrow. He reached out yesterday, wanted to do something. Uh, he was available last night, but um, it was just, it was kind of late, and I was like, I just don't think it's going to work. Um, hopefully tomorrow we can squeeze out a little bit of time, do a live stream, probably go on his channel. Maybe he'll come on mine, and I'll use maybe the audio for for the podcast, because I don't want to keep him around for, for three different shows. But I don't even think Dose would, would necessarily dispute it. You know, he might like a couple guys here. He'll probably like his edge guys. Um, I don't know who he would, I doubt any of the corners. I don't know. I, maybe some of the young guys, but there's just, there's nothing really to like. By the way, special teams, they do have one of the best punters in football, Mr. Jack Fox. Um, his yards per attempt, 50.7 last week, 44.7 net, 4.39 average hang time. Not his not his best game ever, but he is a legit punter. As far as return guys, uh, looks like they just had... <laughs> they had no punt returns, so that, that makes it difficult to know how good they are. But on kick returns, they've got Mr. Godwin Iquibuike, whatever. I have no idea, but uh, he's not great. So as far as I can tell nothing super special here, but I guess I don't know for sure. But anyways, I got to get uh, get it rocking a little bit. And again, hopefully we can talk to Dose tomorrow and get a little bit of his insights. Um, obviously, last time I talked to a guy and it sounded like he was just being a homer, but it sounds like he was also right about a lot of stuff. At least it seems that way because we lost. But uh, anyways, again, go uh, go share that post and get you a jersey. It's basically free and you can just get it by sharing. You got a, like a one-to-one opportunity here. Otherwise, you folks have yourselves a great weekend, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.